You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 329, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Today, I'm joined by Harun Ahmed, a programmer from Coventry, UK. He is a hacker, Rubyist, and open source contributor. Away from computers, he loves spending time with his family and recently digging Fortnite squad battles. Greetings, Haroon, and I'm thrilled you picked this podcast to be your first ever podcast appearance. Uh, hey, Brittany. Uh, it's nice to be here and nice to meet everyone. Well, uh, Haroon, as I ask everyone, what is your developer origin story? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I got started, um, I think, around probably around 15 or something, where, where I um, had some programming modules or some or something of some sorts. I can't remember the specifics, um, but it's kind of got me started, got me interested in computing, and I kind of thought to myself, is maybe in college, university, this is kind of direction uh, I'm going to go down. So yeah, so in college, university, I think I did a bit more programming related modules. I think we did C, C plus plus, and Java, and um, that was kind of where I felt my my career will probably go towards so and it's probably the only modules that I did reasonably well at to be honest with you so um yeah I mean after that I kind of graduated and my first role was a JavaScript developer uh, and then I kind of moved on to using C sharp and um as it was a Microsoft shop um and then after that I think there's probably a few more startups where I joined and yeah mostly been doing Ruby and Rails I think after that to be honest with you that is so interesting that your first job was a JavaScript developer. You hear that, you know, nowadays that that could happen, but I'm surprised that that was your first job. I mean, for anyone getting started in programming, JavaScript is probably a much easier language to, to get going with, um, and Ruby as well. But I think if you, if you want to really just do browser-related stuff to see changes, I personally would recommend not learning C at the start or just go with JavaScript. It's, it's really, really good. And uh, it gives you the fundamentals which you need um, to be a good programmer. So, and, and the most the most important part is is to want to program and kind of feel like you know you like doing programming. And JavaScript, in my opinion, kind of does that. So, um, it's definitely a good starting point. I think that's excellent advice. So let's dig a little more into how you got experience with Ruby and Rails. So you mentioned that you joined a couple of startups. Were they using Rails to make an MVP? The startup that I joined as a first engineer hire, Symmetrix, um, initially they were using um, .NET, so I kind of took over the application. Um, what happened was we um, tried to diversify our revenue, and I was already looking into Ruby on Rails at the time. I think I think I started around version three or something. Um, I can't remember how it's been. It's been quite a long time actually. And um, uh, yeah, so we kind of built out a few side projects, and then we tried to diversify our revenue and um, we decided some of these projects had some really good aspects to it. And they were all built using Ruby on Rails. And then eventually we merged them and then rewrote Symmetrix to be um, the version 2.0 to be on Ruby on Rails. Um, and I think that's probably where I started to actually have a real project in Ruby on Rails. And um, I think since after, the startups after that I worked on, they've all been um, Ruby-based. I'll probably say there was one Sinatra-based application where I worked on the API. Um, and then the other one was a Rails application, but I think there was a lot of Rails um, in both jobs, to be honest with you. Gotcha. 
Well, I always like to fill the listeners in as to why I invite a guest onto the show, and you just made a major contribution to Rails. And so I'd like to get started with asking you, how did you get involved with contributing to Rails? I, I like open source because it really, it gives back to the community so other people can actually do something with it. I mean, my probably my starting point with open source is a bit weird, where I was working as a C-sharp .NET developer, and... Um, a lot of the source, the framework was actually closed source. So when we had issues, it was really difficult to dig in and find what the problem was. So when I started to hack on Rails and started to, you know, um, uh, get going with Rails and start using it in applications, I seen Ruby as open source and the actual language Rails, um, so that was actual language, and the framework Ruby on Rails, that was also open source. So to me, that was that was wonderful. So I could see what's actually happening behind the scenes when I write my code. And um, the more, so the more, that's the reason why I like open source as a, as a you know, um, as a model. So it really helps people to, to uh, so they can build great things with it. So when I started to um, uh, build my, one of my Rails applications, I think I had an issue um, with setting some sort of configuration or something. And um, I think that was around 2017. So I opened my first issue of Rails and I said, look, I have an issue with the Rails application that I'm building uh, on GitHub. So can somebody help me? And um, it looked like I was I was actually doing the right thing, but there was actually an issue with the framework. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. You know, I figured out something that was wrong in Rails and um, there's a way to fix it. And I don't know how to fix it. So I was like, okay, I would fix this, but I'm not sure. So somebody put in put in a patch, fixed the issue, and I was like, you know, thank you very much. And I felt it a very um, positive experience working with the Rails developers and um, the community who commented on the on the GitHub issue. So I came across an issue, I think, a couple of years later. So um, it probably took until about 2019, um, so um, sometime last year, uh, where I actually for, worked on a, my first issue. So. Um, uh, when I was following along the Rails issues, somebody mentioned there's a here's a good starting issue. So if somebody wants to pick it up, they'll just refactoring some code, and uh, that's where I thought let's make the jump now because it's gonna help improve my own skills um, as a developer. So I'll get better, uh, like some really good uh, framework developers in Rails, Rails core team to review my review my work so I can improve my own code, and. Um, yeah, I mean, that's where it kind of kind of started off. And then I think I picked up another issue. After that got merged, I was really happy. I was like, wow, this is good. Um, you know, somebody has helped me get my first issue of Rails and it felt like a good experience. So I decided to pick up another issue. And I think this is one where DHH picked up, um, uh, where he mentioned he wanted uh, some, some change in documentation and um, yeah, I mean, that was the second issue. And then from there, I don't think I've looked back. That's fantastic. I want to give a big kudos shout out to the Rails core team. 
I've only heard positive experiences for people who have interacted with the repositories. It can be really uh, scary as a junior developer or, or someone who's new to the framework to open an issue because you might worry that you're duplicating someone else or that you just didn't read the documentation correctly. And now in your case, you actually found a legitimate issue, which is fantastic. But I have a feeling that they would have treated you no differently if that wasn't true. And so it just sounds like a lot of new people are are starting to contribute to Rails. And there's just a genuine excitement around Rails lately that I think is just really contagious. So it's great to hear that you uh, started opening pull requests. And as they got merged, you felt such a positive feeling that you wanted to keep going with that. For sure. For sure. I mean, getting started is the hardest thing. The first pull request or the first issue. And then I think once you get through the first few issues and the first few pull requests, it just gets easier and easier. So it's more about picking the framework or the or the the, the library you want to contribute to. Um, once you do that, once you follow what's going on with, with you know the changes that are happening, the new issues that are coming through, helping other people. Once you get more comfortable, it becomes easier and easier. That's great. So I've already personally used the new minimal flag in Rails. And so for those who haven't tried it, can you break down what it is? Yeah, so uh, a little bit of background on this. Um, uh, I think around the time, there was a lot of people tweeting around how um, uh, they had to add so many flags into the Rails new uh, command uh, to get the application to the state that they would like to have it in. And um, uh, I think following on from that, um, the Rails team decided they, they wanted to open the floor to to everyone and say, what are your issues, especially for people who are starting out with Rails, but it was more for anyone who had issues that kind of, or gotchas that kind of uh, it affected them. So um, one of the issues that came out was, um, yeah, let's not have all these flags passed into the Rails new command. We just want to have a minimal um, Rails application that excludes a whole bunch of things and um, yeah, so that was the basis of this work. And um, we we've removed like a whole bunch of things from the Rails application, including um, action mailer, active job, action text, um, active storage, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, so yeah, um, the point of this is to basically get your application up and running very quickly. And um, So I followed along with the May of WTFs, which is what I believe that you're referring to, which was the amazing forum where they basically opened it up for anyone to put in any sort of grievances that they might have about have again. So my so my question for you is once May was over, did they sit down and look at the top issues and then convert those into actual issues in Rails for contributors to grab? I think it was more for people who are interested in hacking on rails they would pick up an issue that they felt they could do it wasn't i don't think it was more of may was more about like so they so everyone raised some issues and then i see like i find an opportunity for myself personally to to start contributing again um and i just picked up a, a random issue and i see other people doing the same thing as well so it was it wasn't more specifically assigned to anyone or anyone was gonna try and help get progress over the line it was more um you know, here are a whole bunch of issues and then people will just start picking them up. 
So after reading through the pull request, it looked like it took about a two-week discussion and testing back and forth to achieve the merge. So can you walk me through that? Were you basically visually watching over the pull request and replying to things as you could? Um, with pull requests, I think two weeks is actually not bad. It's actually quite a quick turnaround from my experience. Um, I had a pull request that was open for about um, I think January to December, so for for about a year, close enough where I got merged. So this was actually quite quite fast for me. Um, usually, I find with pull requests, where, whereas when I find a feature, like okay, I understand what the feature does, write a good documentation for the pull request, so we we understand exactly what we're trying to do on this pull request. So anyone who doesn't have any context whatsoever why did we do this? I think a good um, description really helps. Uh, after after like having a good description, I kind of just knew what I was kind of going to do. So um, once I made the changes, submitted the pull request, there were a couple of more updates that needed to happen. Um, I think the process is more whenever somebody is ready to review the work, they'll review it. And then whenever I'm ready to pick up the work again, I'll pick it up and then kind of, you know, um, push my changes up. Um, address any comments or feedback or whatever it was. Uh, I think that's kind of the way I use open source. I don't really expect a quicker turnaround because people are busy, there's stuff happening, there's other more priority issues. So I think with this particular issue, there was a lot of history around how many flags that passed into Rails. So maybe the, the motivation was slightly higher for it to be merged quicker. And I felt maybe that kind of helped. So two weeks, yeah, for me, that was a really, really quick turnaround. I agree. It seemed like you had a lot of community support in this. And as soon as it got open, people started talking about it. So I agree with you. I think the community wanted to see this merged right away. Yeah. And I mean, there was a lot of reactions on the pull requests, which was quite surprising. As in, I didn't expect as many people. I thought maybe there are some people, but yeah, that there was definitely a lot of interest. Well, you're just going to have to accept your new title as a Rails rock star. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I hope I can live up to it. I'm sure you can. So speaking of open source, I know you have a lot of experience on how open source can open up career opportunities. Do you have a story to share around this? Um, I mean, open source has really helped my career, personally. That there is a number of things with, with career and um, progression. And um, uh, I think for me, when I started out um, in one of the startups I was working at, when I, I was there for about eight years, and uh, when I started to look for a new job, I realized a lot of people said, you know, like, if you do open source, it's really going to propel your career. I think I remember spoke, speaking to DHH about this in 2017 as well, where he said that one of the tried and tested methods is working on open source. And that definitely improves leverage and, uh, and um, uh, it kind of propels you a bit more further than maybe somebody who doesn't have that. Um, whereas my experience that actually worked for me. And as being a developer who's based out in um, in Coventry in the Midlands, um, which is quite far away from London, and London had most of the Rails jobs, and there weren't as many where I was living. So it means that to work remotely, you have to have either know a lot of people, and to know a lot of people, maybe work on things that other people are working on. Um, so that's kind of where I, I, I realised that for me to land a really good Rails job, I would have to actually be really good and active in the community because that's the only thing that will stand out. And when I started hacking on Rails and um, start working on open source, so my actual open, my first open source project was uh, OctoKit.net, 
a C-sharp GitHub API client. And I was one of the top contributors, I think top three for, for quite a long time. And then I think I stopped, uh, stopped using .NET. So I just stopped contributing to the library. Um, and I personally attribute like the open source work that I did there to a lot of the success that came after. Cause I, I had a couple of interviews where they were like, oh, so you did, you know, this project you worked on and I can see you're all of the top contributors. Awesome, you know, it, it would mean that would be less questions for me. Um, sometimes even no technical interviews after as well, because like, oh, you know, we can see you work already. So let's just go and, you know, skip this process, for example. And uh, from then I realized that open source would definitely um, uh, open up more doors. And personally, even after um, this, uh, the, the recent PR that emerged, the Rails minimal flag, even when I, when I got hired for my new job, um, which I'm starting towards the end of this month, uh, they mentioned the same PR as well. So I personally found it really helps. And um, it, it may not be for every developer. So I just want to say, just want to say one thing as well. Some developers may feel they can't get into open source and it's probably not for them. That doesn't mean you can't get any great opportunities as well, because I know people who, um, who also get great opportunities by not contributing to open source. So, um, but I also found they generally live around London, San Francisco maybe. So the opportunities are a lot more for them. So yeah, so it's more like you kind of assess where you are, what kind of lifestyle you want to have. If you want to go for a remote, then you really have to stand out. If you live near like, you know, like there the are people who get opportunities that I know that lived in London. So it's, it's a lot more easier for them. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, ExpressVPN. Being stuck at home these days, you probably don't think much about internet privacy on your own home network. Fire up incognito mode on your browser and no one can see what you're doing, right? Wrong. Even in incognito mode, your online privacy can still be traced. Even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. That's why, even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure your ISP can't see what sites you visit. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through ExpressVPN secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users. That means everything you do is anonymized and can't be traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 1000% of your data with best-in-class encryption, so your information is always protected. Use the internet with confidence from your computer, tablet, or smartphone. ExpressVPN has you covered on every device. Simply tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. It's rated number one by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless more. So protect your online activity today with a VPN that I trust to secure my own privacy. Visit my special link at expressvpn.com ruby and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com ruby expressvpn.com slash ruby to learn more thank you to expressvpn for sponsoring the show now back to your idea haroon so you definitely have my gears turning and what you just said there was so insightful and it makes me really wonder as you know developers are being sent home because of the pandemic and a lot of developers are adjusting to remote life obviously you're gaining some time by not having to commute and so is some of that time going back into open source? And because 
developers are seeking remote roles, how important is open source contributions going to be if you're not going to be able to network in person anymore? Uh, I think on Twitter, I think Twitter where kind of, I try to keep in touch with, with people and that's probably one of the only ways where I can network. Um, but yeah, conferences, I think maybe more virtual conferences will happen, but I'm not really sure. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure I have a, I have a great answer for that because when I, when I'm working remotely, um, even though most days I'm at home, I still like to go to the coffee shop and actually interact with humans. So that's one of the things I'm not sure how we're going to resolve that because all developers want to be around other developers at some time, even if it's for a little while. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of a very tricky, a tricky situation to be honest with you. I totally agree. Um, so we rely on Dependabot at work, which I think a lot of repositories out there do as well. And I noticed within the first couple of weeks of the pandemic that my <laughs> Dependabot alerts were going up really high because it seemed like a lot of the open source dependencies that we were dependent on were getting updated because those developers were making contributions to them. So it was almost uh, an interesting pattern to see. I feel like it's come down since, but at the very beginning, I would say around March and April, I feel like open source contributions were at an all-time high. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, a lot of people have made more time for open source, but um, I think when if, if we're working remotely, we have like we avoid the commute and we avoid other areas like going out for lunch. We have a lunch at home, so we save a lot of time. Um, I'm not sure like how many people are contributing to, to open source in this, but I think it's more like they have more time and then they they feel a bit more, maybe a bit more relaxed. I think most people are still spending around the same time on open source, but it's more, they have more energy and more focus probably because less of a commute um, for lunches and stuff, maybe it's just there already and stuff. I think I, mean, I think maybe the quality time they're spending on open source is more, which kind of results to more contributions, I think. So this is going to be a double-ended question for you. I definitely want to ask you about your advice around getting started in open source. And I'd also like to ask you as well, did getting involved in open source have anything to do with your current day job at the time, or were you doing that all on your personal time? So most of my most of my open source was because I felt like I wanted to improve my skills and um, uh, get different reviews, reviewing my work. So I think mostly my open source was all in my spare time and it was all um, after work or late, usually late evenings or weekends. And um, yeah, I mean, it was more about developing my own skills and kind of improving myself as a developer uh, and, and working on different code bases. I think those are some of the areas where, like, if you're working on one project, one code base, and there's one thing, it's not really going to improve my skills. So I found that working on different projects with different people who have different styles of programming, for example, um, it, it really opened my eyes to how I could build better applications. Are there any websites that you would go to in order to find issues that were good for new programmers or just interesting issues that you wanted to work on. I know that GitHub now features uh, several repositories in your home feed of languages that you're currently working in, which I think is really cool. And I've really loved sites like Code Triage to find things like that. But do you have any advice around those? I mostly use Code Triage as well. Um, and I think it's an awesome site as well. 
I mean, when I when I when I pick up when I pick a repo, for example, when I got started in open source, I would always look for the good first issue. I remember there was a couple of sites before which were good first good first issues, and um, everyone would just post it on there as well. But I find Cotriage should be the best one for me personally, especially on the repos that I'm working on, for example, Rails. Um, so I think for most people, I'll probably say like to get started on open source and uh, picking the first issue you're most likely going to want to start in documentation. Like that's what I found the most easiest to get going with. There's, for example, if you have a project that you really use, uh, that you use every day, um, for example, have a look at a gem file, uh, pick up any any gem and the one that you kind of use every day is easier to kind of get started with. Um, and then from there, you could just uh, have a look at the, the current code, run the tests, look at the documentation. And there's usually especially the documentation, there's usually a lot of areas where it can be improved. And um, yeah, I mean, that's probably, I would think is a starting point. And that's how I got started uh, with some of the stuff in Rails as well. That's excellent. Awesome advice. And we'll definitely link a lot of this in the show notes. So I have to end the episode on a fun note because we have a Fortnite player here. So I have to ask, how many seasons have you been playing? Not very many. Two. Actually, it's been two. Um, so... I've, really, I've only started gaming earlier this year, to be honest with you, uh, and it's been awesome. I mean, I think, I I'm not sure if it's a pandemic, but it's really helped us as a family, like, sit together and play something fun. Um, and I really like how the we collaborate with each other and kind of, like, you know, defeat an enemy, collect whatever we collect. And um, it, it's really nice, I mean, to communicate with other people trying to achieve something um while the whole world is on lockdown i think maybe it's you know kind of really helped me connect with other people um but yeah i mean i'm really looking forward to the the water subsiding having new ways to travel um and i found the marauders chasing us in this game has been quite fun in this in this season and um i think yeah we've had a couple of victories but not very many to be honest with you that's so great. So Haroon, how can the listeners follow you? Um, on Twitter, uh, I'm, I am Haroon9. And by email as well, um, yeah, haroon.armid25 at gmail.com. So if you have any questions about Rails, you want to get started in open source, contributed to Rails, if you just, you know, if you have any questions, yeah, I'm more than happy to help. Just reach out to me. That's wonderful. And that should be a resource that listeners should definitely take advantage of. Haroon, thank you for all of your contributions to open source. We appreciate you so much. And we're so glad that you're part of our community. Thank you very much. It's awesome to be here. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening. Thank you.